Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Take seven in the intro. Five, four, three. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. I'm your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein. And in this episode, we have the pleasure and privilege of sitting down with Hillel Folk. Hillel is a thought leader in the world of tech, in startup consulting, in marketing, in the world of influencers. And he's done some great things. He does great things all the time. He, we speak about in this, we speak about Israel. We speak about anti-Semitism. We speak about depression and how to overcome depression. We think we speak about giving and what you get from giving. And we think you're going to love this episode. Without further ado, Hillel Fold. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. We are thrilled to welcome our guest, Hillel Fold from Israel. Welcome, Hillel. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So, Hillel, I know that your your emails come with a, with a video at the bottom. Hillel, what exactly do you do? I, I even saw a video where you explain what exactly you do. So, I imagine you're doing this because you do so many things. It's not clear to people what exactly you do. So, let us let us hear it. What's what's the elevator pitch? How much time do we have? We, we need a long elevator ride to explain what I do. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I mean, I, listen, I'm from New York originally. Moved to Israel 30 years ago. Found myself working in the tech uh, industry here in Israel which is a, a very uh, successful ecosystem uh, from a global perspective. And, um, you know, over the years, it's kind of developed this, I would say, counterintuitive business model of instead of me coming to companies and saying, pay me and I'll do something, I asked these entrepreneurs, what are your challenges? And if I could help, I tried to help. And these, these companies came back to me, uh, you know, over the next, let's say, 15 years and said, listen, we know what you did for us. Uh, we want to work with you. And so I, and I built this, let's say, this, this venture capital firm without capital, Right. I have this portfolio of companies that I work with and I help them grow. So I'd say today, uh, like I said in that video, I wear four hats. Hat number one is startups that, you know, reach out and I, I try to meet whoever I can and try to help in any way I can. 98% of them don't pay me a dime, but 2% come back to me and return my whole investment. So that's kind of hat number one is startups. Hat number two is content. Uh, so this all started from, you know, this blog that I started 15 years ago. So today I write for basically every leading technology publication in the world from TechCrunch, The Next Web, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, and many, many others. Uh, I do a video uh, video blog on YouTube. I do a an audio podcast called Bootstrap. So that's hat number two, content. Hat number three is public speaking around the world about Israeli entrepreneurship, about tech, about marketing. And then the final hat, I work with uh, multinationals. So I work with Google. I work with Oracle, Microsoft, Huawei, and a couple of others as a brand ambassador slash influencer slash they all call it something else, but it's all the same stuff. That's what I do. Kid in a candy store, living the dream in Israel, and uh, just enjoying every second of it. Okay, amazing. So let me ask you a little bit about, about the content. So there's, what do you, what do you feel about the difference of the, the, the difference between the content aggregators and content, content creators? Like which, which of these is going to win, which, which is going to reign king? In the world right now. When you now. say content aggregators, are you referring to like the social media platforms? Yeah, social media platforms, news platforms, things that are that are bringing in other people's content to make to to make a product, present a product, as opposed to people. I mean, I don't I don't see those things as mutually exclusive at all. I don't think either one of them needs to win. I think content producers, content creators depend on con- content aggregators to distribute their content. So I think they actually are not competitors. I think they they complement each other perfectly. 
Uh-huh. Okay, very good. Uh, can you tell me about what what brought you to to get started in Israel? Like, what what tells tell us about your journey? Why you decided to set up your your life over there? So I moved here in middle of high school with my family. Uh, oh. I, I can't I, I can't pretend that it was my decision to move from New York to Jerusalem when I was fifteen. Um, you know, definitely not an easy age. So I was in ninth grade. I was in New York. Tenth grade, I was in in Jerusalem. Um, and uh, the, the good news is, twenty eight years later, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. The bad news is, at the time, I did not recognize that. Far from it. So it was, you know, it took a couple a couple of years till I was happy. But um, you know, when I was growing up, coming to Israel, you had to lower your quality of life. And I'm not talking about spirituality. Now. I'm talking about materialism. You had to lower your quality of life. Today in Israel. I absolutely do not believe in the lawyer quality of life. I actually think on the contrary. I look at my friends in the States who are investment bankers and doctors and lawyers, and I don't believe that they're living a better uh, materialistic life than I am over here in Beit Shemesh, Israel. So, you know, living the dream. Okay. Very good. Now, working, working in the tech world, it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is freelance, but in terms of the scheduling and deadlines and such, do you find a conflict between your schedule as an observant Jew and what people expect from you and the all of the people that are hiring you and paying you to do this and that and how do you resolve those so, conflicts so the end so that's a, that's a question i get very often you know is is my is my yarmulke you know or my religion a, an obstacle uh and the answer is not only is it not an obstacle but it actually has become part of my brand um i'll just tell you a quick story i went to silicon valley many years ago to visit a guy named bradley horowitz who by the way is not jewish despite his name uh he is the chief product officer uh at google uh, very, very senior guy there. And, um, I, I was in Silicon Valley. And so we just kind of made a meeting, not, not for business, just kind of social to catch up. And, uh, I come into his office and there's a massive platter of sushi on his, t- on his desk. I said to him, what's that? He goes, I know that you're strictly kosher because I follow you and there's no kosher food in Silicon Valley. So I just ordered this from, you know, outside of Silicon Valley for you. And so, you know, when I sign off for Shabbos, when I, you know, um, show all the different customs, whether it's buying my wife jewelry before the major holidays, whether it's lighting Hanukkah candles. I do it very publicly and I leverage and, you know, use my platform. And, you know, again, not only is it not an obstacle, people have grown to appreciate it. I've gotten comments on Instagram from people who've said to me, I'm an unaffiliated Jew. I'm not with Shabbos candles in 40 years, but your Shabbos posts maybe start again. Or, uh, you know, we've never kept Shabbos in my life. And, you know, you're literally, this is a woman in, in uh, LA wrote this to me. She's like, I've never kept Shabbos and your, she called it your faith posts. Uh, inspired me. We kept our first Shabbos this Shabbos and our whole family was crying and it was so inspirational. It just blows my mind, but this wow. is stuff that happens on the internet. Yeah. Wow. And, but you, did you ever feel the opposite? Did you ever feel any resistance or judge people being judgmental towards you? So I did have to give up on a, on a couple of things over the years. You know, I, there was one Google event that I was invited to. It was on Shabbos. So I couldn't go to that. Um, and of course, of course, I get a ton of anti-Semitism on social media. I mean, Really, really horrible stuff. But, you know, you learn to use the block button and the report button. And, you know, the, the former the former CEO, what is it? He's actually still CEO. I apologize. Uh, the CEO of Twitter. No, no, he's not the CEO. Former CEO, Jack Dorsey. Uh, he wrote to me personally and said, uh, you know, we're going to handle it. We see how much abuse you're getting on this platform. We're going to handle it. Of course, they didn't handle it. But, you know, I get a lot of abuse, a lot, a lot of abuse. You know, they they, they kind of disguise it uh, as, you know, anti-Israel, not anti-Semitism, but it's it's anti-Semitism. It's pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. So that is it's an, an interesting topic because a lot of the students who will be watching this, these young professionals, the situation is such that I, I was in college 20 years ago. Now it's a lot worse. You can't, the, if you're not strong coming in and 
you know, not strong with you wearing your Jewish identity outwardly, then sometimes students are afraid to show that they're Jewish because there's just such a vocal anti-Israel voice, which maybe might be disguised anti-Semitism. And so what would you say to these students? You know, I'm Jewish. I don't know much about it. Like what, what kind of message would you like to give? I mean, I think that, you know, Judaism is, is a really beautiful religion. You know, one of the things that I do is when I sign off uh, at the end of every week for Shabbos, for the Sabbath, I'm, you know, I turn off my phone. I don't, you know, use electricity. Obviously you have lights on, but I don't turn on the light on Shabbos. Um, I sign off and I, and I always accompany that post with a short piece of a, you know, a Torah lesson, but my, my audience is highly secular and mostly not even Jewish. So I don't write, you know, Torah that's meant for like ultra Orthodox Jews. I write Torah that's meant for the business sector. And so I always connect uh, a lesson from the weekly Torah portion to business. And the truth is I started doing this, not knowing if I'd be able to keep it up because is there really a lesson for business in every single Torah portion? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The answer is that in Judaism, if you're looking at it through the right lens, there are just endless, endless beautiful things about Judaism. And again, the world can focus on what they want to focus on and, you know, nitpick and find, you know, things to complain about, whether it's Judaism or politics or whatever it may be. But, you know, I think we have a lot to be proud of. And I, I see no reason that a person, religious or not religious, should not stand up and be proud of the fact that they are Jewish with the Jewish heritage, the Jewish tradition. It's really just a beautiful, beautiful religion. So since you said it, I have to, I have to prompt you. What, what is the connection that you hope to uh, speak about? I know it's only Thursday. It's not Friday, but the, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Korach. So what would you say? Uh, what do you, what do you? Uh, Korach, Korach was, is Korach by you. It's Chukas by us. All right. <laughs> so what did you say last week? So last week I talked about leadership. Obviously leadership, right? I mean, you know, there's no room for ego in leadership, right? Korach, uh, you know, was driven by ego and, and what is ego? Your ego, you're trying to, you know, raise yourself, um, you know, raise yourself beyond others and above others. And, uh, it's no coincidence that his punishment was that he was swallowed beneath the earth, uh, because God was saying, listen, buddy, you want to be a leader, get rid of your ego. You can't get rid of your ego. You're going down, literally. Uh, so that was the lesson from last week. This week is all about, you know, anger and, and how, you know, almost everything in life, uh, if done in moderation is okay. Uh, you know, there is time for, for you to be, you know, I don't know what proud and there's a time for you to be, you know, scared. There's a time, there's no time ever to be angry. There's no justification ever. In any case, in any situation or scenario in life, you should not be angry. Now, let me just kind of give a disclaimer. There are times you might have to display anger in order to teach someone a lesson. So, for example, Moses, when he dropped the tablets or broke the tablets, you know, he was showing the, the nation, you guys, are you kidding me? I just took you out of Egypt. just showed you all these miracles. And you're, you're bowing down to a golden calf. So he broke the tablets. But, you know, I mean, Rabbi Sachs and many other uh, rabbis, uh, you know, explained that he wasn't really internally angry he was externally angry to show that he was angry but in this week's portion um you know the 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 nation complains that they don't have water and moses turns to god he says like what am am i supposed to do here god says listen you're going to perform a miracle not your first not your second not your you know you've been doing a lot of miracles go speak to this rock and water will come out and moses lost his temper i mean again it depends who you you know which commentary you listen to moses lost his temper and he hit the rock instead of speaking to it and so his punishment was that he does not enter the land of Israel, which is something that he was basically, you know, leading the nation towards for the last, you know, half a century. And so it's a massive blow to him that you're not going to the land of Israel. But the lesson here, again, it depends who, who you speak to which commentary, but the lesson here is, is very clear. And that is that no matter what, you have to control your temper, no, no matter what. And, and more than that, you know, one small little tiny little deed that you do can, on the one hand, you know, save a person, even if a person, let's say, you know, led not such a righteous life, but at the end of his life, 
you know, he kind of repented and you could really salvage the whole life. And on the contrary, obviously one bad deed can also, you know, ruin a, a good life. So this was Moses. I mean, you know, it doesn't get much better than Moses, but that's what happened. He lost the opportunity to come to the land of Israel. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, Hill, do, is there any, any certain, certain teaching from Jewish, from the Jewish tradition, from the canon that helps you more than others in your business dealings and your approach to in, in your approach to what you do? Something that you yeah, I, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, like I said before, I built my whole career, not on taking, but giving. Uh, I think that most people kind of view business as a zero sum game. So if I'm giving you something, I must be losing, but that's not the case at all. And, you know, and let's just give a practical example. If let's say you're an entrepreneur and you need an investment. So I connect you to an investor, right? So you got your money. You're happy. The investor got an amazing deal. They're happy. And I lost nothing. What did I lose? I sent an email, right? And so I'm sure you're familiar with the analogy of a candle, right? A candle gives its fire to another candle, loses nothing. Uh, and so that's how I built my whole career, which is, you know, if I could help someone without anything in return, why would I not? And it turns out when you do that, you, you demonstrate your ability to provide real value. And when you provide real value without any expectations on the other end, you create delight. It's very delightful. When someone just does nice things for you. And delight is something you'd pay for. So when companies come back to me with hearts in their eyes, like in Bugs Bunny, now we can talk money. Before that, let me just be in the business of delight. So I think that's a very Jewish concept. I think, um, you know, it's mentioned in everywhere in the Torah and in the Talmud of the, the strength of giving. We know that the word ahava means love. One might think that how do you achieve and attain love by uh, taking, right? You're getting all the stuff. Of course you love the person. They're giving you everything. And the answer is no. In the word ahava, there's the hidden word of hav, which means in Aramaic, give. And that's the secret. The more you give, the more you love, not the more you take. And so, like I said, I built my whole career on that. And I think it's a very important lesson, not only for business, but for life. Um, focus on other people. Focus on helping other people win. Focus on promoting other people. Focus on empowering other people, uh, elevating other people, and you will be elevated with them. That's what you're doing, especially with the with the startup consulting. You said you're not you're not you're not charging a fee for the startup consulting. Is that, I mean, is that correct? No. So most ninety eight percent of the companies that I work with on a daily basis, I don't charge. But the two percent that want to work with me in a formal capacity do pay me uh, a retainer. Um, but you know, again, literally 98% of my time is, is free uh, working with these companies. But again, what does it mean working with them? I'm, you know, if I'm making an introduction or if I'm helping them tell their story a little better, it doesn't require very much from me. So I have a cup of coffee with an entrepreneur and I try to help, you know, and it's, it really is not, it doesn't require very much. And so again, why not that, that you know, people say, why do you do this? I, I, my answer is why would I not do this? Well, like, you know, when you focus on, imagine every meeting you go to, right? You focus on the other person. What would happen? A lot of things would happen. First of all, you'd personally learn to overcome diverse challenges because you're always helping people solve problems. You'd, you'd build a, a, a reputation of being indispensable to people, right? Because you're always helping other people. You'd have, a, you'd have a bank of favors to call upon if you need it down the road, right? And at the end of the day, like everyone wins from this, you know? And so I know that that's counterintuitive and everyone else thinks of business as give me, give me, give me, give me. But I like, let me, let me give others. And again, you know, if I, I'll just give you an example on a practical level. If I interview someone, all right, I give them a stage. So number one, I get on the radar of that person. So if I'm interviewing a person like Steve Wozniak, who I've interviewed, the founder of Apple, and the man who invented the computer, you know, I'm now on his radar because everyone wants his money. I don't want his money. I don't want anything from him. I want to give him a stage. So number one, I'm on his radar. Number two, as soon as I publish that article, he's going to share it. I'm going to get all the traffic, right? All of his followers are going to come to my content and I get all the traffic. And number three, everyone that sees that interview says, oh my gosh, 
Hello, interviewed Steve Wozniak. And so I get the branding, even though I didn't mention my name at all. I only promoted someone else. So when you promote other people, you end up winning. And even if it doesn't come back in the form of money, it always comes back in one way or another. I, I'm happy to tell you the story. I don't know how much time you have, but I experienced something recently that I helped an entrepreneur and ended up saving someone's life. Yeah. True story. Uh, If you said that, I've got time for that. (laughs) <laughs> so, so real quick, real quick, about, I don't know, close to seven or eight years ago, a very young entrepreneur reaches out to me. Hi, hello, I have, a, I have an idea for a startup. I heard you can help me. I said, what do you need? He said, introductions to investors. I said, no problem. We don't need to meet for that. I'm happy to connect you. He said, no, 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 I want to meet you. I said, no, I really don't need. He said, no, no, I want to meet you. I go meet him in Tel Aviv. And sure enough, he's, he's a young kid. I mean, and so I, I made some introductions for him. I didn't ask for anything. It was literally just sent a couple emails. Uh he calls me up a bit later and he said, a couple of months later, he says, we sold the company. I said, wow, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. He says, my dad wants to meet you. I said, what do you mean your dad wants to meet me? He says, my dad wants to know who this guy is and helped his son without asking for anything in return. I said, okay, who's your dad? He tells me his dad's name. I Google him. He's one of the top experts in the world in cancer research. I said, wow, I'd love to meet your dad. I meet him in New York. He had an amazing meeting. He's telling me all about the treatments that are developed in Israel. It was unbelievable. And that was it. Over the years, he sent me, you know, a WhatsApp here and there, but we didn't really stay in touch. A couple of months ago, I'm at my parents' house in Jerusalem. My mom gets a phone call. One of her closest friends is diagnosed with a very, very aggressive, very bad cancer. I said, listen, I know this guy. And she says, please write him. I wrote him and I said, listen, this is the story. He gives me 10 names of the top experts in that specific type of cancer, their email addresses and their phone numbers. I said, wow, it's so nice of you. Passed it on to the patient. The patient writes back and says, do you think He'd be willing to speak to me directly. I said, let me ask. I asked him. He said, absolutely. And I introduced him and I forgot about it. A couple of weeks later, I get an email from the patient that he says to me, the, the, the doctor, the researcher's name is Peter. Uh, the, the patient emails me. He says, who is this Peter guy? I said, what do you mean? He goes, the guy is an angel. He is bringing me to hospitals. He's introducing me to the expert, biggest experts in the world. He won't leave my side. And I said to him, Peter, you don't even know me. Why are you helping me this way? And he said, what Hillel did for my son. 10 years ago, whatever you need, I'm here. Like you think in a million years, 10 years ago, when I was being this guy, I thought one day this would save someone's life. I mean, again, saving someone's life is maybe a little bit of exaggeration because unfortunately he is sick. I hope he will save his life. But again, even the, even the idea that this young kid, I helped him, just someone to help him and look what it led to. So it always comes back in one way or another. Such a powerful story. Wow. there's, there's, There's a lot of discussion now about the value of an education. And the question about whether jumping into jumping into the experience in the field is even more valuable than sitting in classes for four years, eight years. What, what what's your take on this? I mean, I have a degree in political. I have a degree in political science, so clearly that has nothing to do with what I do for a living. Um, n- nor has anyone ever asked me what degree I have. So <laughs> I, I assume I assume we don't want to say that 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 uh, education is useless, being our audience here, but. Um, I think, I think, you know, you should think very carefully about what you're studying. In other words, if you want to be an engineer, study computer science. Um, but if you, if you're looking to get into the tech, whether it's marketing or sales or as an engineer, uh, you know, going to waste four years studying, you know, I don't know, Greek philosophy, I, I don't really see the value in that so much if I'm being honest. Am I allowed to say that? I'm not sure. You're allowed to say, you're allowed to say what you think? Right. I mean, no, I don't, I don't think that, I don't, th- I don't think it's fair. Or I don't think it's accurate to say that education is, you know, useless or obsolete. That's obviously not the case. I mean, I learned a ton in my, in my years in, in school, but, but I do think we have to be a little more conscious of it because at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I know, I don't think anyone needs to be reminded of this, but, you know, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, you know, none of them, you know, finished college and uh, Mark Zuckerberg. So, 
you know, I mean, you gotta just don't just go to school because your parents telling you to go to school or because that's what people do. Think about it. Be conscious to it. Understand what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing and, and think if it's right, it's the right path for you or not. Mm-hmm. Now your political science degree, does it help you? I know you said, you say you speak about Israel to people. Are you only speaking about the tech aspect of Israel or speaking about the, the anti-Semitism? I mean, I don't, I don't need a, a degree in political science to, to, you know, understand the, the craziness that is Israeli politics. Um, but uh, does it help me? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it helps me in any practical way. I enjoyed it. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed studying it. I enjoyed the philosophy behind it. But, uh, to say that it helps me on a daily basis, absolutely not. You know, it just doesn't. I mean, I, I can, you know, and I just heard a comedy show recently where we've all heard people talk about this, you know, like in the things we learned in math, like a train leaves the station, a train, like, what, what, like, what are you ever going to use that in life? You know, but okay, whatever, you learn it. It's part of, uh, part of school, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And what just, your, your, your students your are all going to like leave after they watch this interview. They'll be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, just curious question college was in israel or college was back in america israel israel okay got it okay i met my wife i met my wife and by the way my wife's from la i'm from new york oh. we didn't know each other we moved here the same summer we didn't know each other we met in barilan university in israel okay nice yeah. <laughs> who are your role models in, in terms of uh ethical role models perhaps in terms of uh business role models so my parents, first and foremost, my parents uh, are very um, well-respected, well-known educators. My dad in the Jewish world, my mom, you know, not in the Jewish world, she taught English and whatever, but uh, very, you know, amazing people, first and foremost, amazing teachers, amazing parents. So them for sure. Uh, my late brother, Ari Fold, if anyone's not familiar, I don't know if you're familiar, but he was uh, tragically murdered in a terrorist attack about four years ago in, in uh, near Jerusalem. And he left a legacy that's just hard to even like digest in terms of one person, the amount of people that, that his, his legacy and his, you know, he, he was very active on social media and, you know, you don't even realize, I know I don't even realize, but you're able to literally impact millions and millions of lives. So he was definitely a role model. And uh, on, a, on a more business front, um, you know, there's an investor uh, that's an old friend of mine, Michael Eisenberg, who's a very successful, uh, you know, investor, entrepreneur. And I have a lot of respect for him because I think he's figured out the balance of life, really figured it out. I mean, the guy has nine kids, he spends time learning Torah with his kids. He's baseball with his kids. He manages hundreds of millions of dollars in a VC fund. He's got it all figured out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure it out, but I, but I definitely have a lot of admiration for him. Maybe it'll help me connect to Michael so we can interview him too. Happy to. Okay, thank you. Um, is there any time that you felt in your career, in, in your life, a particular challenge that you, you thought was insurmountable, you, you were able to overcome it, and lessons you learned from that? Um, I mean, <laughs> not to get too heavy, but you know, losing, losing your brother to a terrorist attack is quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, you know, again, I, I don't want to get too heavy here, but, uh, but you know, I am a very happy, optimistic person uh, who has never experienced any sort of mental health conditions, not even anxiety or nothing, really nothing. Uh, but you know, an event like that will sure, you know, challenge that. And so I definitely had a hard time. I had a hard time getting back to life and a hard time just moving on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I learned, I guess one thing that I learned, I mean, I learned a lot of lessons, but I will share one story that I think was incredible. Um, I get a call a couple of weeks after the attack from a, a an entrepreneur who's a very successful entrepreneur, sold this company for hundreds of millions of dollars, a good friend of mine. And I said, he says to me, he'll come to Tel Aviv to meet me. And I said, Kobe, I love you, man, but I'm not taking business meetings. I'm sorry, I can't come meet me. He says, he'll come meet me. He's a very kind of like soft-spoken guy that was very not characteristic of him. So I get in my car and I go to Tel Aviv. 
I sit across from him at a, at a cafe. He looks me in the eye and he says to me, Hillel, me and the hundreds of people you've helped over the years, we are not going to let you fall. You can go home now. I started crying because that was my biggest fear. How am I ever going to get back to supporting my family? I can't even put on socks in the morning, you know, and to know that I have that cushion. So the lesson there is number one, the, the power of a nice word. It was, you, you cannot imagine the effect that had on me. Uh, and maybe even more importantly is again, helping others, right? Why did he say that to me? Because I've helped him over the years a lot and I've helped other people and they came back. So again, it all, it always comes back. It always, always comes back. So that was a very important lesson for me. Uh, but I think it's also important to mention, I'm not going to sweep it under the rug and say that mental health is something that we need to pay more attention to. And I think, um, you know, I made a conscious decision after I was struggling. I said to myself, I could be like everyone else and sweep it under the rug because no one likes to talk about it because it's a stigma. Or I could use my platform and talk about it. And so I did that. And I wrote about mental health and I talked about mental health. And sure enough, don't you should, there should be no doubt. I got a lot of calls and emails from people saying, you need to stop talking about this. No one's going to want to work with you. And I said, you know what? If a company doesn't want to work with me because I was depressed and my brother was murdered, then I don't want to work with them. So uh, I think mental health is an important discussion to have. And I think we have to stop stigmatizing it and really just bring it out to the forefront and just address it head on. Wow. Very powerful story. Do you ever have the chance to, to return the favor to give back um, strength, strengthen somebody who's in, the, in a state of depression? Yeah, hundred percent. So I've spoken many, many times at you know, mental health uh, organizations. Um, I've written a lot about it and thank God I've gotten feedback from people that it really gave them a voice and the, and the, the courage to speak. And, you know, I'm doing my part. Listen, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not my brother who has, you know, hundreds of millions of people. I don't know about hundreds, but ten, probably tens of millions of people that he, he impacted. But if I'm impacting whatever it is, a couple of hundred thousand, then, then hopefully we'll save, you know, one, two people who knows, you know, what kind of impact this has on the world. Now, just, I'm interested in, since we met, we're talking about your brother, what was the, what was the impact that he made? What was, what was his focus? Truth, truth. He, he didn't stand for, you know, false narratives. Now, I'm not going to get into politics, but he was very, very passionate about Israel, extremely passionate. Um, and, you know, he listened to the narrative that the world likes to talk and say about Israel. And he said, listen, you're, you're just, I mean, this isn't a question of opinion. Historically, look at the book. It's just not true what you're saying. There's again, I don't want to get into the actual conflict and whatever, but mm-hmm. it's just you know he's saying we can have a, we can have a debate, we can discuss you know is the Israeli government perfect? Do we make mistakes? Let's talk about it. But to say you know certain things that the world just accepts as truth, he just wouldn't stand for it. Um, and that was a very important legacy of his. And I think also he was just very kind to a lot of people. I think, uh, you know, many, many, I can't know how many people, thousands of people have reached out to me and said, you don't know what he did for me. And I said, oh, you know, I, I loved your brother. I miss your brother. And I say, oh, did you, did you know him? No, no, no. I said, did you ever meet him? No, no, no. Did you ever speak to him? No, no, no. Just his work online deeply impacted me. And I'm like, it's unbelievable. So uh, I think that's an important, again, it's the same thing, which is you can really change lives. A nice word, a kind gesture, you can change lives. One person can change many, many, many lives. Wow. Okay. I don't think we can leave with a more positive message than that. And Hillel, you, you uh, are always giving to others and you gave us your time and your, and, and your perspective. And I really appreciate that. And I think it's going to be very impactful for a lot of people. So thank, thank you for so having much. me. It's an honor. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's spreading positivity in the world is a very important thing. Okay, thank you so much. We'll, we'll try. All right, take care. Okay. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. 
And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.